With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And good day, everybody. Welcome on in. Episode 139 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, I just, if anyone's watching this, you know, YouTube live show right now, you can see I've added some new graphics in there. Uh, I hope, and I've changed uh, the color of the ticker and all that. So hopefully you guys like that. Again, hit me up in the comments as you're watching live here. I appreciate everyone watching live on the YouTube channel, watching live or watching on replay, excuse me, on the YouTube channel. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to get those, you know, subscriber numbers up so we can get some super chats coming because I know some people want that. Um, And so I think I need to get to a thousand subscribers. So any way that we can get there, I truly appreciate it. And my main goal doing this show is I want to do this because I love communicating with Padre fans. And this show is for Padre fans. And so we can vent sometimes with each other. We can, you know, be happy, you know, with each other sometimes and, you know, talk about different trade proposals and all that. And so I really hope that everyone's enjoying uh, the content that I'm putting out for you guys. And let's get right to it. Um, Before... I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of topics to you know start talking about here. You have the new home run derby that's happening uh, with Adrian Gonzalez participating in it, and some, some softball players and stuff like that. With and it's a new format which we'll get to with raised platforms and shorter fences and stuff like that. Uh, we have MLB.com coming out with some really weird starting rotation rankings that I really disagreed with. Padres not even in the top 10. Um, There's also Jake Cronenworth, MLB Network's doing their Shredder top 100 players list. And Jake Cronenworth, I think, is is ranked 
really low um, compared to some other guys that I don't think should be ranked ahead of him. Uh, C.J. Abrams is obviously a story. Him and Trent Grisham is a big story that's picking up steam the last couple of days that we need to you know talk about uh, because of reports about C.J. Abrams potentially getting time in center field. You uh, Darvish being named the opening day starter. Nick Martinez, Chris Paddock, Blake Snell, they've all pitched the last couple of days, so we'll get into them. Uh, and some discouraging and encouraging performances. Uh, some, I think C.J. Abrams' odds of making the opening day roster have definitely improved. So we're getting to all of that today. Again, leave your comments, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I appreciate everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, you can find my work as well, gaslightball.com. Let's get right to it. So I like going into you know chronological order in my notes here that I have written down here um, just because I think that's best for the audience. I was working last night, so didn't have the opportunity to live stream. Um, but so if we're going to go uh, chronological here, order from, you know, the late or the events that happened the oldest time from the last time I recorded or went live to the earliest that which was the Padre Dodger game that just ended with the Padres getting smacked uh, at Arizona Spring Training Complex. Let's the first event is the MLB New Home Run Derby. Major League Baseball announced on Wednesday that they're putting together a competition called Home Run Derby X, and that will be played later this year, different locations across the globe. Uh, four teams are being represented, big market teams, as you'd probably expect. You got the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees. Those four teams, they will have different members in those teams. They're, each team will have one former player, one prospect, one softball player or women's player, and then one content creator. Now, I looked up the content creators because I didn't know who the heck they were, and I thought that they were going to be like team-specific content creators. I thought that would have been cool, but I guess they're not. Uh, I looked at like their profiles and their Instagrams, and I don't really see baseball there uh, in their content, so I thought that was weird. But for Boston, according to MLB, they have Johnny Gomes as the MLB legend, like a lot of these names that are participating aren't really legends, but they have Paige Halstead, uh, Liv Cookie. The Yankees have Nick Swisher, Erica Pianstelelli, uh, Stefania Aradias, and Daniel Corral. The Cubs, Giovanni Soto, he's the player. Uh, Alex Hugo, Spencer Owen. The Dodgers have Adrian Gonzalez, who's their Dodger legend, even though he's not a legend. Uh, Ashton Lansdell and... Youngy Quack. So a lot of names. I think they didn't really do well in terms of name recognition. Now, maybe some former players didn't want to participate in it, so that might have held it back. But I would have thought that they would have put together some better names here. Uh, yeah, my Uncle Nick here comments, Home Run Derby X equals trash. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. They have raised platforms, elevated mounds, elevated home plate. Uh, the... The fences are smaller. It's up to 320 feet to center field. There's two targets 160 feet away from home plate and beyond the outfield fence. And so I guess if they hit those targets, they get points. Uh, the locations, London, Seattle, uh, Mexico City, and the opposition also will have defense in the outfield so they can earn points now. 
uh, like catching balls that aren't hit over the fence in the air. They, if they catch those, they get points. So it's definitely, I guess, Major League Baseball is trying to attract more audiences and all that and definitely try to, uh, you know, appeal maybe to the younger audience. But, I mean, I'm 19 years old. I, this doesn't really appeal to me, to be quite honest. Uh, so I wanted to touch on it but didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because I think they could have done better uh, in this if they're really going to try and do this home run derby X. I think they could have done better with it. Uh, but that's just me. Again, if your thoughts on Home Run Derby X, uh, give your thoughts in the comments. Amateur Derby, lame is what Zach says. I kind of agree. Like, like I mentioned, I think they could just do better. I think with the players, with the content creators, at least make them baseball content creators. Uh, you know, some of the more famous guys, I think they'd be willing to do it, obviously. So I think they could have done a better job. But let's move now to Padres. This is what we want this is what people care about obviously and let's get to now mlb.com their rotation rankings they release those their best top 10 starting rotations in major league baseball they have the padres as 11th in the honorable mention category the top 10 are the mets the brewers the blue jays the white Sox, the astros the giants the Dodgers, the Braves, the Yankees, the Phillies. Those are the top 10 ahead of the Padres. I think they had the Marlins as an honorable mention in there. And I get the Mets. I get the Brewers. I get Toronto. I get the White Sox. Um, I get the Giants. I get the Dodgers maybe a little bit. I get the Braves. I get the Phillies to a degree. You know, Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin. Um, who, I think they have Kyle Gibson as well. But there's two teams that I kind of have an issue with, and that's the Astros and the Yankees. The Padres rotation has – maybe this is just me latching onto the names in the Padres rotation, but the Astros rotation, they have Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, and Jake Odorizzi. Those are three of the notable names in the rotation. They're projected – all three of those are projected to have ERAs over – at least four or over in 2022. Jose Urquidy, Luis Garcia, and Jake Odorizzi. Remember, Jake Odorizzi barely got a deal with the Astros. Like, it didn't seem like anyone wanted him when he was a free agent coming from the Twins. And then the Yankees side of things, they their four and five starters are projected to have a 4.44 ERA or worse. So... Maybe that's me also recency bias looking at Nick Martinez and him looking pretty good, you know, against the Dodgers and then his last spring training start that he pitched yesterday where he didn't give up a run, four innings. He might have given one run, uh, but maybe that's my recency bias there. But for me, like Darvish, he's a Cy Young caliber pitcher. Snell, if he pitches like he did in August, he's a Cy Young caliber pitcher. Musgrove is getting better every single year. Clevenger former all-star caliber pitcher. And when he was with the Padres before he got hurt, he was pitching like an all-star caliber pitcher. I get he gave up eight runs in his first spring training start. But like I mentioned on episode 138, I don't, I'm not too concerned with that because it's his first spring training start after a long time away from Tommy John. Um, and he knows, he realizes what he was doing wrong. His arm was late. His location just wasn't there. He knows what he was doing wrong. 
It wasn't like his velocity was bad or anything like that. He just knew he knew that his arm was late. He just was, he just didn't have a great day mechanically. And so I am encouraged by him at least knowing what he's doing wrong and that he can fix it. Uh, so with that starting rotation that they have, and then you factor in probably they didn't factor in Gore, but if you factor in Mackenzie Gore, that makes their case even stronger because you'd have to think that he'd get some starts this year. If he's continuing to be in big league camp this late in the spring, you have a week till opening day. If he's continuing to pitch well, giving up, what, two runs this spring so far, uh, not walking as many guys, and he walked his first batter in his last appearance. So it, it, it took a while for him to walk someone. So comparing to last spring training and comparing to last season in El Paso, he's doing miles and miles better than he was. And so you add that in there, Paddock's looked pretty good. Weathers has looked okay. You had Martinez, who's looked really good. Darvish has looked really good. Musgrove, I'm not worried about him. Clevenger, I'm not too worried about him. Snell, I'm more worried about him, and we'll get to him. But even if you take him out of it, that's four out of the five starters that I would be pretty confident in uh, going into the season. Um, so, And then, obviously, like I mentioned, you add the piggyback role of Gore or uh, Weathers, Paddock, guys like that. And I think they should be ranked ahead of the Yankees, and the Astros. Who is the Yankees' fifth starter right now? Does anyone know in the chat? Let me know if you know who the Yankees' fifth starter is. They have Garrett Cole, who's come up ridiculously small in postseason games and late in the season last year. And it was and he his numbers were really bad compared to um, when he was still allowed to cheat. After they took away the spider tack, his numbers weren't as good. He choked in the wild card game against the Red Sox. And then who's next? They have Luis Severino. He's already dealing with general body soreness, so that's a concern for them. Jamison Tyone, okay, he was okay last year, but he still dealt with injuries last year. And so I'm just not as sold on the Yankees' rotation as MLB.com is. And I think, and again, maybe it's just me being a Padre fan or being attached to the names, but... I still think that they have the track record that they should be put ahead of the Yankees or the Astros in the starting rotation list. There's a lot of teams there where obviously they have a good argument over the Padres, like the Mets, like even the Phillies or the Braves or the White Sox or the Dodgers. I could buy that. Uh, but the Yankees and Astros, those were where I kind of took issue. So I think the Padres should be a top five rotation in that MLB.com list. But again, these projections, these predictions, these rankings, they mean nothing at the end of the day. They're just fun talking points, but they mean nothing at the end of the day because we saw the Padres being ranked as what the best rotation last year, according to fan graphs. And then what happened? You know, they were one of the worst rotations at the end of the year because they had Vince Velasquez and Jake. Let me fake an in my a hamstring injury Arietta as their starters. So Event, you know, they had Reese Kinnear starting games, nothing against him, but he shouldn't have been starting games, uh, you know, when we went into the season. And Zach comments in here, makes a good point here with the Yankees and Astros. Their rotation's top heavy, I agree with you. Uh, Padres have a great one-two punch and a lot more depth. They do have a lot more depth, yeah. And then Uncle Nick, he says, have they announced the first home game starter? Not yet. I would assume it's Musgrove, but we'll get into that. You Darvish was the announced was announced 
announced the opening day starter on April 7th in Arizona. And I think it's smart for that to happen. Obviously he's the best starter in the rotation. And I think it's smart for Musgrove to pitch game three, because then you can have Snell and Clevenger pitch in between guys that are built up. So you're not having back to back or back to back to back bullpen games. So I think that's the smarter scenario and we'll get more into that. Uh, So that's the starting rotation kind of issue that I had there with MLB.com's list. Uh, Moving on now to a trade the Padres made. A.J. Preller acquired an infielder. He's not going to start. He's not going to be with the team probably for the next couple years at least. Who knows if he's going to even have a role on the Padres if he makes the big leagues. Uh, But on Wednesday morning, the Padres acquired Kervin Prichardo and cash considerations from the Phillies for reliever James Norwood. Uh, Norwood was DFA'd earlier this week. Kervin Pachardo will be at San Diego's rookie ball affiliate. And what we're getting out of Pachardo from the Phillies organization, infielder, probably shortstop. Preller loves getting his shortstops and stockpiling shortstops. And then, you know, we'll just see where they are when they get to the big leagues. That seems like his philosophy, which I don't, I don't really disagree with, to be honest. Uh, but Pachardo's 20 years old. Got up to high A in 2021. He hit two home runs in 35 games last year. Walked 28 times, 476 on base percentage, and 942 OPS. So what we're getting out of Pichardo, at least right now, is not a whole lot of power, but it seems like he's getting on base. He knows how to walk. So seems like an Adam Frazier type bat, you know, how Adam Frazier was with the Pirates before he came with the Padres. Uh, in terms of average and in terms of uh, on base percentage and and not much power, stuff like that. Um, And so this is a name maybe you want to keep watch on. I'll probably keep watch on it, but he's not like a top 10 prospect, I don't think. And it'll definitely be years. He's years away, definitely, especially when he's 20 years old and he'll be in rookie ball, you know, to start the season. So that's the trade that they made on Wednesday morning. Now, next topic, getting to Jake Cronenworth. He was, I think, snubbed. Now, when you think snubbed, it's usually someone that doesn't make a list, right? Someone snubbed from the All-Star game. They, they don't, it's, they're snubbed because they didn't make the All-Star game, right? I am saying Jake was snubbed in MLB Network's top 100 list that they're putting out right now. Uh, in terms of that, I don't think he was ranked high enough. I think he was ranked too low. I think... Okay, so just to lay this out first, MLB Network has the shredder thing. It's like a lot of analytics. They use numbers. Supposedly, it's not a person deciding or a group of people deciding their list. It's a bunch of numbers deciding who are the top 100 players in the league right now. And so the shredder, that's what it's called. They put, they're putting out the top 100 players right now. And Jake Cronenworth came in a couple nights ago at ML, on MLB Network, he came in ranked 73rd in Major League Baseball. Coming off an all-star appearance, coming off, he's the second best player on the team offensively right now when you, you take into account Tatis is hurt. 73rd on MLB Network's top 100 list. And so I have some issues. I have one, two, three, four players that you can make an argument, I think, that should be ranked below... Cronenworth, meaning Cronenworth should be ranked higher than them, closer to number one than 
these four players. And the first one that I'll start out with is Randy Rosarena, the Tampa Bay Rays. Randy Rosarena is uh, ranked 71st. He had a lower 2020 war and lower 2021 war than Jake Cronenworth. Jake drove in 11 more runs last year, or I think 11 more runs combined in this, these last two years. Yes, Randy had that great postseason in 2020. But Jake, I think, his versatility, his production, was Randy Rosarena an all-star last year? I don't believe so. Jake was. Jake had, again, he had a better war last year, better war in 2020. So I think he has a very good argument with the war, with the versatility, to be ranked higher than Randy Rosarena. Another player is Anthony Rendon. Now, Angels, man, Angels fans might not like this, but Anthony Rendon is ranked 70th, according to MLB Network. He had 15 fewer home runs than Jake had in 2021. He didn't stay healthy, which I think should come into effect. And he had a 0.7 war because he didn't stay healthy. Now, I get that he has the track record of success, more success in the big leagues, more years in the big leagues than Cronenworth does. But the list of MLB Network's top 100 players right now, those last two words that I said right there, right now, that should be key. It's about right now. It's not about who the top 100 track records of guys in the big leagues right now. It's a guy. It's the top 100 players right now. And if you're saying right now that Anthony Rendon's a better player than Jake Cronenworth is, when you look at the stats and who's been able to stay healthy, versatility, they're on a winning team, they're helping their team really win. I'm sorry, Anthony Rendon is not the better player right right now than Jake Cronenworth is. Has he had a better career? Of course. He's won a World Series. You know, he was a, one of the best third basemen in baseball you know, that last year with the Nationals. And he might still end up being at the end of this year. But if we're going into this season and saying right now, it's Jake Cronenworth. I think he should be higher than Anthony Rendon, who's 70th, when, he's, when Jake's been able to stay healthy. Remember, he filled in in 2020 because Hosmer got hurt. Cronenworth stayed healthy. He's played first. He's played second. He's played short. He played short last year when Tatis was hurt. Guess what? Rendon was hurt. He didn't have, he didn't play third or play short or play another position when someone else was hurt. He was the guy that was hurt. And I think that's something that definitely people should be looking at in terms of value. You should be looking at who are the guys that are going to stay healthy. Like the best availability, you know, you, you know, that old phrase, the best availability the best ability is availability. And Jake Cronenworth has been available more than Anthony Rendon has. And if you're judging on the last couple years, and then you look on the outlook this year, I think that Jake Cronenworth has a better case than Rendon uh, in terms of the top 100 players. But that's my second guy. Third one, Francisco Lindor. Uh, he's ranked 68th. He's coming off two down seasons. He had a 4.5 war last the last two years combined compared to Jake Cronenworth's 5.8 war the last two years combined. And then like Rendon, I get that Lindor has the track record, but it's the same thing. You, you have to judge it on right now. Lindor was one of the best shortstops in the league a few years ago. And you can make the case that he still is, 
But I'd put Correa ahead of him right now. I'd put Tatis ahead of him right now. I know, I know Tatis is hurt, but at least if we're talking, you know, ability, I'd put Tatis ahead of him, ahead of him right now. So him, Tatis, Correa, Tatis, Correa, Trey Turner, I'd put ahead of him. Corey Seager, even, I'd probably put ahead of him. I know he got overpaid by the Rangers, but I'd still put him ahead. Who else? Brandon Crawford, I'd think about. Just, he didn't deal with the New York fans very well last year. He was slumping. Uh, he got in that fight with uh, Jeff McNeil. I know Tatis got in a fight, too, but that was not a good look. Um, he just has not lived up yet to that money that he's gotten with the Mets so far. Uh, and again, just my main argument, it's kind of like the Anthony Rendon argument. You're supposed to be looking at who the best player is right now. And right now, Jake Cronenworth is coming off the better couple, last couple seasons. And right now, Jake Cronenworth is the, is the reigning all-star. Lindor's not. And I think that has to come to, into play as well. Both were on teams that didn't make the playoffs last year, so you can't have the argument of, oh, Lindor was at least on a playoff team. No, you can't have that argument. Uh, so he's not playing up to his contract yet. Rendon, Zach makes a good point here in the YouTube comments. Rendon also isn't you know, playing up to that massive contract yet either. So these names, Rosarena, Rendon, Lindor, I have one more, and that's Javi Baez. They're not, I don't think they should be ranked higher than Jake Cronenworth on this list. Javi Baez is 67th. I think he has the best case to be ranked ahead of Jake Cronenworth over those over those other three, Lindor, Rendon, and Rosarena. Uh, because, you know, he does have some production. You know, he has more home runs than Jake does. He hit more home runs than Jake did last year. But he has a lower war the last two years than Cronenworth. He struck out more than two times the amount Jake did last year. And Jake played in more games last year. So you have... The consistency at the plate, you have playing more games, you have the all-star appearance, uh, you have just the better, at least for me, the better overall player, versatility, you know, not going to strike out all the time, someone that you can really count on to produce and not have these big four strikeout games and these prolonged slumps. I'm going with Jake Cronenworth. That's who I'm going with. And so I get... Mets fans or Cubs fans, or now Tigers fans, might have an argument, and they have the best argument, I think, over the other three, Rendon, Orozarena, and Lindor, to be ranked ahead of Jake. But I'm a big fan of consistency. I'm a big fan of not striking out and putting the ball in play. You can call me old school or whatever, but I think there's still value in that. In order to hit a home run, you have to make contact. I get that Javi Baez has hit more home runs than Cronenworth. He hit more home runs than him last year. But you still need to put the ball in play more than Javi Baez does, I think. And I think I get Javi Baez can play multiple positions, but Jake Cronenworth's versatility playing first base, playing second, playing short, that's a hard combination that you're not going to find other places around the league. Has Javi Baez played first base? I don't remember him ever doing that. He's played second with the Mets, played short, obviously. He's going to play short with the Tigers. But his Cronenworth's versatility is a big reason. I think that should be a big aspect that uh, people should be looking at in terms of these lists. Now, is the Shredder looking at those projections and all that? It's hard to say. 
because they look at the numbers. Now there are, you could make the argument. I would make the argument right now that there are numbers that tell you Jake Cronenworth's versatility. You look up his splits. It shows you the, the amount of games that he's played at each position. And that's just, you can't find that much versatility in those other three guys. You can't find a higher war in those, in, in, in a Lindor and Rendon and a Rosarena, you know, you can't find that. You can't find Baez having a higher war than Cronenworth the last two years. So those would be my four guys that I saw that I'd put below Jake. And I think Jake should be ranked higher than them. Uh, but go ahead, give your thoughts on those three players. If you, if you agree with me uh, and I'd love to hear some, you know, back and forth interaction on that topic. Uh, but let's get to the next topic now. All right, let's get to the next topic. And that is the C.J. Abrams outfield conversation. C.J. Abrams obviously came up as a shortstop, was drafted as a shortstop. But Bob Melvin told the media yesterday on Wednesday that he's thinking about giving C.J. Abrams some reps in center field as a backup center fielder to Trent Grisham. Now, when Bob Melvin said these comments, people went bananas on Twitter, right? They went bananas on social media. You know, are they going to trade Grisham? Oh, what does this mean? You know, all that sort of stuff. But they left out, or at least most people, most people left out the fact that before this, before mentioning Abrams, he said that he might get a look at Will Myers in center field. And Will has already played center field before in the big leagues. So to be quite honest, it feels like I'd put Will playing center and being the backup center fielder higher and more likely than CJ being the backup center fielder right out of the gate because he's played there before. Because you can you know, move Profar to right or put Beatty in right. Or if Mazzara makes the team, have him in right or left, something like that. Um, I think... Those are options. You have, can have Alfaro in the left, worst case scenario. I know that's not going to happen. He's a catcher, but that's another option. I, so I think Myers playing center is more likely at least to start the season because he's played there before and he's actually played the outfield period in the majors before or in minor leagues before. CJ hasn't played the outfield before in the minors, to my knowledge. And he obviously hasn't played in the big leagues yet. So I would think that we shouldn't just assume that CJ right out of the gate, oh, he's going to go play center field. I think Myers has a greater, the greater odds to do that if they have a backup center fielder and they really, you know, start putting other guys other than Trent Grisham in center field. And Jose Azucar, he's played center in spring. He's still on the big league camp roster. I don't think he makes the team uh, because they picked up Matt Beatty. And I don't think he was going to make the team even before that. I think uh, Mazzara would have made the team. But I do want to touch on the C.J. Abrams possibility. And I think Melvin at least mentioning this, I think C.J. will get time this spring at some point in center field, you know, late in game, something like that, or at least on the backfields, uh, in defensive drills, have Grisham, you know, talk to him about it a little bit. I think Christian Macias is working with the outfielders a little, outfielders a little bit there. So I, I think that uh, 
you'll see Abrams there at some point. But I don't really, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to really focus on CJ Abrams as the center fielder right now. I'm focused on what those comments that Bob Melvin made, what that means for CJ Abrams and his likelihood of making the roster. And I think Bob Melvin's comments about saying, you know, at least toying with the idea of having CJ Abrams in center or in the outfield, you know, as a backup, even that increases his odds of making the roster. And there was another move, by the way, that has also increased his odds that we'll get to of CJ making the roster. But if Melvin, and I said this on my reaction episode yesterday, I worked yesterday, yesterday, so I couldn't, you know, go live or record or anything. So that's why I did my reaction there yesterday. In my reaction, I was talking about how Bob Melvin, even toying with the idea of CJ playing the outfield, you know, being a backup outfielder, in order to be the backup outfielder, a backup center fielder, he has to be on the major league roster. You know, your backup out, your backup center fielder is not going to be in AAA because if Grisham gets hurt in the middle of the game, you're not, you can't just make the move in the middle of the game and put, you know, transport a guy from El Paso to San Diego. That's not the way it works. You got to be on the roster. So I think him at least, you know, mentioning a backup center outfielder, backup center fielder, he has to be in the roster for that. So you would think that the Padres are leaning towards CJ making the roster or else I don't, I, I wouldn't think that Bob Melvin would even utter the possibility of him being a backup center fielder, you know, or even thinking about him being a backup center fielder because again, he has to be on the roster. So I think that's a positive development there. Now, I was also one aspect, the platoon situation that, you know, some fans might wonder if there complete there could be some type of platoon. That's not going to happen. CJ Abrams is a left-handed hitter. Trent Grisham is a left-handed hitter. Platoons don't work like that. It's platoon is left and right-handed hitters. That's how you platoon. Both are left-handed. And so it's going to be Grisham getting the majority of starts in center. If he's not playing, then that's where maybe CJ Abrams would come into play. That's where if Grisham gets hurt, CJ Abrams might come into play as that left-handed center fielder. But they're not going to platoon, so I wanted to touch on that. Another thing, this could groom CJ Abrams to move to center field when Tatis returns, right? Could move Grisham to right field through 2025 or move him to left, whatever. I think moving him to right field would be the best uh, situation for him. You know, gold glove center fielder, has range, all that. You know, right field's pretty dang big at Petco. Left field is not as big. And then you have C.J. Abrams in center who's speedy, who can help cover that left field gap if you don't have a speedy guy in left or like a big defensive guy in left. Uh, but this, putting C.J. as the backup center fielder, if this happens, again, it hasn't happened, hasn't had reps in center yet, but if it does happen, and if he's, you know, taking fly balls and batting practice before games in center field every day and Tatis comes back and CJ is hitting well and they still want Jake at second, this could really put CJ in center field. And this would make the team better. Putting CJ Abrams, assuming that he hits and they need, they have to keep his bat in the lineup when Tatis returns and he goes to center and you move Grisham to right and you have Myers and left that makes them a better overall team. 
because now all of a sudden you don't have a utility guy being your left fielder who doesn't have power in Jerks and Profar. You can have Profar play the better role that actually fits him. And that role is being a utility infielder. He can play some outfield, but being a utility infielder, I think, is his best role. And so putting CJ in center would force Profar out of left because you have Myers in left, and then you have Grisham in right. That's how I would align it. it if Tatis you know, comes back healthy, if he returns, if CJ is not struggling hitting-wise, and if they do decide to put him in center. That's the alignment, and I think that would make them a better team. And so that's another aspect of this. There's a lot of aspects that could go into CJ being a backup center fielder and what that could lead to. What I don't think it will lead to, and I think is it's frankly dumb for people to even suggest this, is Trent Grisham to be traded. You know, people bringing up, okay, they're toying with CJ in center. What does that mean for Trent Grisham? Oh, is Trent Grisham going to be traded? Oh, my goodness. He's going to be traded? What the heck? No. He's under contract through 2025. You know, Bob Melvin is putting him at the top of the lineup for a reason. I know Tatis is out, but you don't just put him at the top of the lineup just to put him there. He still believes in him. He still has to believe in him, right? He was a gold glove center fielder in 2020. I get it was a shortened year, but he still was. He covers ground pretty well in center field. So he's valuable to this team. I like the swagger that he brings to this team. And I'm looking at it from a point of view. If they do have CJ as the starting center center fielder in the future, you move Trent to right, he can cover ground there like I mentioned earlier. Myers probably won't come back after this year. And you could put Robert Hassel III, their top prospect, in left. An outfield of Hassel in left, Abrams in center, Grisham in right. That's appealing to me. I would love that outfield, to be quite honest. Because Hassel has the opportunity to be a five-tool player. Abrams has the possibility to be a five-tool player. And Grisham is probably a three-and-a-half, maybe, tool player. I like his arm, but it's not, like, amazing, I don't think. Uh, He has range. He has the fielding tool. I think he has the hit tool overall a little bit. Um, So I think three to four tool players, Grisham. That's a good outfield, I would say. When everyone develops, I think that's a good outfield. You have Matt Beatty, probably under contract, I think, next year as well. So he could be a bench outfielder going into next year as well. So that helps. You still will have Profar under contract because there's no way he's opting out of that last year of the $7 million he was given per year from Preller, which was an overpay, obviously, and not really working out that well. So you have options. I like that outfield you know, placement and uh, situation there in the future. And I think that's really what you could be looking at. Trading Grisham... And let's get back to that trading Grisham topic. What I'm curious about, and you can let me know in the comments here, where would Trent Grisham go? Where would he be traded? In what deal would he be traded? What would the Padres get back in a Trent Grisham deal? Is this the time that you would really trade him coming off a you know step back year in comparison to 2020? You know? They were approaching him about an extension, I believe, 
I think it was at the middle of last season, if I remember correctly, I think, or it might have been before last season, I forget. But they were approaching him at some point about an extension. So to approach from to go from approaching him about an extension to now trading him, why would you do that? Now, if you're going to tell me that they can include Grisham in a deal, and it's like Grisham, Camposano, and they get back Brian Reynolds, I'd be I'd be more open to it. But at the same time, if you get Brian Reynolds, and that's a topic we'll get to here with the whole reported interest in him. If you give away, if you get Brian Reynolds and you give away Grisham and Camposano, let's focus on the Grisham part of that. How much better are you really getting this year? Because you have, who's going to be your center fielder? You have a guy who's never played the outfield before as the backup center fielder, or would you have Will Myers play center field? Okay, if you have Will Myers play center field, is Jerks and Profar your right fielder now? Or Matt Beatty? And now you have your outfield of Brian Reynolds and left. Wally was an all-star last year. That's great and all. But then you have Will Myers, who's not great in center. Then you have, let's say, Matt Beatty and right, because you could allow Profar now to maybe you know, be a, a utility guy. Does that really make you better? I'm not so sure. Especially weighing it with the fact that you could have an outfield of Hassel, Grisham, and Abrams as early as next year. I like that more than an outfield of, you know, Myers and Reynolds and Profar or Beatty this year. I don't know about you. Let me know in the comments, but I, I just don't know really how much, what trading Grisham would really do for the Padres, especially this year, especially this year. And you can't just throw away this year. You know, at some point you got to win. What's the point of having Bob Melvin? I've been through this argument before. What's the point of having Manny in his prime and Jake in his prime and Tatis coming back at some point, you know, later this year and bringing in Jorge Alfaro and taking a, a risk on him and bringing in Matt Beatty and bringing in a fifth starter and overpaying for Nick Martinez, it seems like, and bringing in Ruben Niebla to fix Gore. What's the point, you know, Clevenger extending him before he got the Tommy John surgery so that he could pitch this year. What's the point of doing all of that if you're not trying to win this year? So I'm curious your thoughts on the whole Grisham thing. I, he's not getting traded. I want to put that out there. I don't have sources on it, but I'm pretty confident he's not getting dealt. And if he does get dealt, they better get back someone who can play some center field, right? I mean, I get CJ's athletic and all, but I don't. He hasn't played one center field game in spring training yet, and we're a week away from from opening day on April seventh. So, and then Bob Melvin is even saying in his press conferences, Grisham's going to be the starting center fielder a lot of games, essentially saying that, and that he's going to be lead off. It seems like that's where he's going to be. It seems like if the Padres are going to go anywhere, Grisham having a bounce back year is going to be a very important to that. I just don't, like I mentioned, I just don't understand. I just don't know really what that accomplish, accomplishes, you know, trading Grisham. Maybe I'm off on this, but we'll see. Zach in the comments here. Let's get some comments. Zach says center field is a difficult, is difficult, difficult position to play. And I agree. That's why putting CJ Abrams out there immediately like that. And if you trade Grisham, that's very dangerous to do. And Will Myers, he's kind of struggled in center. And they don't have a backup center fielder right now. And so that is a worry. So I, I do agree. And I think 
having someone who can play center field, who's already won a gold glove in center field, you know, who has the range and is familiar with center field at Petco and other ballparks is an advantage for the Padres. And I think they should utilize Grisham this year to that and use that him to their advantage. Eric says, there's no one expect Machado or Cronenworth that would get us something decent back. I think he's saying there's no one except Machado or Cronenworth that would get us something decent back. In what deal? In a, in a Grisham deal? Let me know, Eric. Everyone, he says, everyone else literally has baggage on them. Uh, yeah. I'm not so much. I don't know if Weathers has a whole lot of baggage on him. But I, I know that you're talking about, like, big starting caliber impact players. But, yeah, I understand. Uh, let's see. Eric says, honestly, how the F is Preller still running things? How many bad deals and contracts is it going to take? For Preller, for Preller to go. Well, he's still running things. I'll, I'll tell you the question right now. I'll answer that right now. He's still running things because Peter Seidler believes in him. He's having, he has a lot of faith in him. He said multiple times on the radio in press conferences that he doesn't believe it's a, oh, we must win right now this year type of season. That's not, that, that's not the mentality that he has. He's already said that multiple times leading up to this season. And so if Preller, if they, if they miss the playoffs, I'm sorry, that's going to be really hard for Preller to keep the job, regardless of what Siler has said this season, before this season. But let's say they make the playoffs, they lose in the wildcard series or something like that. I don't know. I'm still leaning towards I think that Siler's going to keep Preller. You know? I think that he's still going to keep Preller and look at the optimistic side of you and say – He's the one that traded for Tatis, and he's the reason why we have the most season tickets sales ever because Tatis is a big part of that. He's the one that was willing to go, you know, invest 10, you know, want to go spend 10 years, $300 million on Machado. He's the one at the winter meetings and it was up at like three in the morning or six in the morning, whatever that athletic article was a few years back, phoning Josh Stein and saying, hey, let's go get Manny. He was the one that did that. He was the one that traded for Jake Cronenworth. You know, he was the one that traded for Grisham. He was the one that traded for Joe Musgrove, who now has the first no-hitter and only no-hitter in Padres history and brought me and other fans probably the closest moment we've ever felt to winning a World Series. You know, he's done that. It seems like, it seems like, it seems like the C.J. Abrams draft pick is going to work. It seems like Mackenzie Gore, that draft pick, actually is ending up to work okay. You know? It seems like the Bob Mel he finally got it right with the Bob Melvin and Ruben Niebla hiring. He thought out of the box on the Ruben Niebla and Bob Melvin hirings when no one even had Bob Melvin as a thought to be the manager. So he's I think Seidler's gonna go at it from that optimistic point of view. You know, even if they don't, you know, make the NLCS or something like that, or at least win or at least, you know make it really competitive in the NLDS if they have to play the Dodgers or someone like that. So I think that's why Preller is still running things because Seidler has a faith in him. He just signed an extension before last year too. That's something to look at. And you mentioned the bad deals and the contracts. That's also the pessimistic view, but I don't think that's the view that Seidler's looking at it from. Because quite frankly, Seidler's the one that is 
giving Nick Martinez $25.5 million and giving Hassan Kim $28 million and giving Profar $21 million. He's the guy that's been doing that. So it's not like he said no to these deals and Preller still did it. At the end of the day, Seidler's the owner. He's the one making these money decisions, and he's the one that ultimately says, hey, we're going to, you know, I'll allow you to go spend this money. That's his decision at the end of the day. So he's the one ultimately that is also, you know, agreeing to these bad deals and contracts. And how many more? I'll answer, that's probably the third part of that question, Eric. How many more bad deals and contracts is it going to take for Plutter to go? I don't know if there's a number to that because of how much faith Seidler has in AJ. You know? Are we counting deals that are, you know, like the Pomerantz and Martinez and Kim and Profar? If those don't work out, are those four deals that we're counting about? Is that, is that another four? Because if we're counting that as another four instead of, de instead of four bad deals already, then maybe it might be even more moves down the line for, for Preller to go. I, I don't know the answer to that, but it, the only person that knows the answer to that is Peter Seidler you know, at the end of the day. Uh, and I think a lot of it, his decisions are going to be based on results. And I think it feels like, at least right now, the only way Preller's not here with the Padres in 2023, you know, after the 2022 season is if like they don't make the playoffs, like, because with the expanded postseason and Bob Melvin and all this stuff, all the additions and you have Clevenger back and all that, you got to make the playoffs. There's no excuse. So if they miss the playoffs again for a second straight year, when this is supposed to be their prime window of contention, yeah, now, now we definitely have a problem. All right. Uh, let's see. Zach says Grisham Camposano and Paddock for Brian Reynolds doesn't make the Padres any better. I agree. Yeah. And it makes, you could make the argument that it makes them better in terms of their offense. Cause you have a six war player in there now, but that center center field is a big deal. It's a big deal. And they don't have a backup center fielder right now to just, just go take Grisham's spot. If he gets traded, you know, and then you lose, a uh, uh, paddock, a depth option. Now, I'm not saying that, look, you need to don't trade paddock, you know, for Brian Reynolds. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have Grisham in there as well. And so I'm already out on trading Grisham in there for Cam with Camisano and paddock when you could have Robert Hassel the third be your left fielder next year if you want, right? I wouldn't, you know, it, it's just, I would not do that deal when you're looking at guys that have gotten better, that are in the farm system, guys that are trending upwards, and you're trying to win this year, and does it make them a lot better if they're parting with their starting center fielder, probably someone who's going to start games for them at some point this year in Paddock for a starting left fielder? You know, it's just you're filling holes, but then you're giving the Padres more holes, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Lakeham says, I wouldn't mind trading Chris Paddock or Ryan Weathers for a left fielder. I wouldn't mind trading them either, but it's going to take way more than that. I'd be okay trading one of them and Camposano and another prospect or something for, you know, a Brian Reynolds. But no, it's not, it's not going to be just one of those two. 
or both even. All right, Eric says, as long as Preller is running ship, I'll keep expectations low. No way we're ever passing the Dodgers with Preller doing Preller things. I kind of agree with that in terms of the division because the Dodgers are really stacked right now, but they can still pass them in the postseason. Like that's all that matters at the end of the day. You make the postseason and then you get past them. You win a World Series instead of them. That's at the end of the day what matters. So I get what you're saying. They're not passing the, the Dodgers in terms of like the division, if that's what you mean, the regular season. Um, but if they get Tatis back, and I know it's a lot of ifs. We're just playing the if game right now. But if Grisham has a bounce back year and Clevenger and Snell can you know stay pretty healthy, Nick Martinez continues to trend the way he's going in that fifth spot, and Robert Suarez, you know, ends up being a really good signing, like it seems like it is right now, and Pagan bounces back, and you get something out of the catching position, this roster suddenly, you know, looks a lot better. It suddenly looks a lot better. That's what I would say about that. So I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Uh, let's see. And then Quan says Merrill, Merrill is another option, you know, to get traded because there's the log jam at short. I think he's another option as well. I do agree with that because you have Tatis, right? You have um, Abrams, obviously. You have Cronenworth can play there. You have a lot of options for shortstop if thing if you know injuries happen. Uh, and so yeah, I, I could see that, but. I don't want to give up on him yet. I think he's just going to get better, and the better he gets, the higher his trade value is going to be. And so Merrill is a better option to trade than, say, you know, Robert Hassel or Gore or Abrams, obviously. But I still – I don't know if – I guess it would have to depend on the package. Who else with Merrill? Because I think it would have to take more to get Brian Reynolds. Boogeyman says getting the best left fielder won't do a damn thing. It will do a damn thing. It will do something. But I just go back to the point I made a few moments ago. You're filling one hole, but then creating another hole, I think. Because you're not going to have as much starting pitching depth. You might have a left fielder now, but who's going to be your center fielder? You're really going to put, you're just going to throw Abrams out there without any outfield experience, or you're going to put Myers out there who's not great in center field. And then you're going to have Matt Beatty or Profar play right and play in right. And then you just have the same problem in right that you did in left in terms of offense production. So you're just creating more holes, I think. You're filling holes, but then you're creating holes. So how much better do you really get? I think that's a valid question to ask. All right. Let's get to that Brian Reynolds discussion before we get to that uh, – Wednesday game and then Thursday's game because a lot of the comments here are talking about Brian Reynolds. So I think it was my plan, but I think this is a good time to definitely segue into this Brian Reynolds conversation here. Bob Nightingale, let's set this up. Bob Nightingale, our favorite, maybe second favorite behind Ken because of what he did to us with Scherzer last year. But Bob Nightingale, our favorite, right? Favorite, one of our favorite reporters in terms of, uh, screwing Padre fans, saying today, the Padres have engaged in trade talks with the Pirates on Brian Reynolds. 
San Diego has pitching depth and Paddock weathers have been mentioned in discussions. Now, people were, you know, up and, you know, they were excited about this. I saw people excited and, you know, welcome to San Diego and all that stuff. And Sia Jackson Merrill, I think I saw a couple times, you know, look, this, I don't even know why he even tweeted this. Like, I guess to get a reaction, but like, this is old news. They've had discussions. Maybe the new news about it is that they were, they've been having discussions this spring. I don't think I knew about that, you know, about them having discussions this spring, but they've already been interested in Brian Reynolds. They were interested post lockout. There were reports about it and that the pirates, Ken Rosenthal was saying that the pirates probably wanted CJ Abrams. And so I was like, no, we're not doing that. Fans were like, you know, and then Jim Russell, he's changed his, he's changed his tune. He's come on my side about it and good for him. But he was saying, uh, you know, he immediately was saying his instant reaction. I'll, I'll, I trade Abrams for a six war player in a heartbeat, you know, something like that. And it's like, hold on a second, you know, step back. Let's let this guy play in spring training again and impress again in spring training and show that he's ready. And you'd have him for a smaller contract and more years of control. And he can be better than Brian Reynolds, I think, when he gets stronger. You know, let's hold off on that. Take a chill pill. Uh, but getting back to, you know, this report from Nightingale, it's not, it's not, it's not news here. This has already happened. This was already being talked about. And Kevin Acey said today that this wasn't new, and that's what he was saying, and that the Potters would rather deal from the catching position, Caratini, Camposano, someone like that, than uh, the pitching depth, because obviously the pitching depth, obviously last year, man, oh man, that got crushed. And there, I think there's more uncertainties in terms of health pitching-wise than there is catching-wise. So I, I understand where the Potters are coming from there, and I think it is smarter to deal away depth catching wise than pitching wise. Uh, but I don't, I don't see this deal happening because I think that the pirates are going to want Hassel or Abrams. And I would not do that if I was AJ Preller. I think that would be dumb. I think that wouldn't be smart. I understand that Brian Reynolds was a six war player last year. Do we know that he's going to do that again this year? I don't think we know that. Do we? Because I don't. I get to hit a home run in spring training this year or today, but that's not guaranteed that he's going to replicate that again. And CJ Abrams is like showing that he belongs in the big leagues in spring training right now. And I think he's more athletic than Brian Reynolds is. You know, I think that he's, has the potential, real potential, to be a better player than Brian Reynolds is. So we can get all caught up in, you know, Brian Reynolds was an all-star last year, six-war player, yada, yada, yada. I understand. He's a great player. But at what point are you really getting, like, what, it's hard to phrase this, like, at what point are you going to be getting worse by making this deal? I'm not, I don't want to say that they're getting worse this year 
if they acquire Brian Reynolds. But if they acquire Brian Reynolds, I'm sorry, but for me, they're going to have to get rid of Abrams or Hassel. They're going to have to deal one of them. And those two guys could be two of your three outfielders for the next six years, starting next year, you know? And so at what point are you really sacrificing your future for right now? And I know it's time to win right now, but you can make moves before the deadline. Maybe not have to give up as much, right? Because you have, you're going to have them for less time. But I don't know. Let me know in the comments. Are you all in on Brian Reynolds? Because I'm in on him for the, as the player that he is. But I just cannot get attached to the return that the Pirates would probably be getting. I just can't. There's something about it where it really feels like this is a Trey Turner type situation where you give up CJ Abrams and that is not going to work out well. You're going to regret it. You give up Robert Hassel the third. I feel like you're going to regret it. And now I might be the only one. I might just be talking to a brick wall and some other people don't believe in Hassel like I do. But I talked to Kevin Charity and Matt Friars, who knows more about the prospects and the farm system and how Hassel's doing more than I do. He, I think they were at spring training at the start of minor league camp this year. And he's projecting Hassel to be that five-tool player. And great plate, plate discipline and complete a center fielder of the future for the Padres. Or move over to the left. Who knows? I, I just don't. I'm going to keep going back to this. I'm, I'm just not sold on getting one player back, Brian Reynolds, and having to give up a player who could get better than, be better in the long term than Brian Reynolds. And then you'd have to get worse this year in terms of pitching depth. Uh, and then, you know, Camposano, when you might be able to deal him for something that you need later in the year, something like that. So let me know in the comments. But those are my thoughts on Brian Reynolds. Camposano, by the way, if they part with Camposano and they put him, you know, try to include him in a deal with the Pirates, I don't see how Camposano fits with the Pirates because they literally just drafted, uh, what's his name? They just drafted Henry Davis last year, number one overall as a catcher. So he's their catcher of the future. Like it seems like an Adley Rutschman situation. So they're not going to trade for a catcher when they have Henry Davis coming up. You could say Camposano DHs, but they're not trading a 6-4 player for someone who could DH. Uh, that's not happening. So I don't I would they would they say, "Yeah, sure, we'll take Camposano." Yeah, that, they might say that, but I don't think that I don't think they believe that he fits them as the main centerpiece in a deal like that. Quan Fam says, yeah, Gore and Abrams are keepers. Quan uh, says, I hate Bob Nightingale. He seems to like to mess with Padres fans. With Cruz, Suzuki, Freeman, Castellanos, Bryant, the list goes on and on. He's been very He's been wrong every time. And yeah. I mean, you can even go back to like the whole Trevor Bauer situation last year where he said Trevor Bauer has a deal with the Mets. 
and then he ends up signing with the Dodgers the next day. So the next morning. So, uh, yeah, he's been, he's been wrong. And so it's a report, right? He's a verified reporter and all that. And so I, and along with everyone else, that's going to be like a, a topping, a talking, you know, point, right? That's going to be a, uh, it's going to be something that attracts a lot of attention, right? But I don't want to put too much into the Padres interest because it is Bob Nightingale. And so he might end up just being traded. He might end up just being dealt to be quite honest. Um, all right, let's move to Wednesday's game yesterday. Padres end up beating the Brewers four to two. Nick Martinez started, and based on his start yesterday, it feels like he's going to be the five starter. It really it looks like he has that fifth rotation spot pretty much locked up, and especially with Snell and Clevenger, and it doesn't look like they're going to be ramped up, and it's probably going to be a piggyback situation. It feels like Paddock will be more of a piggyback situation, and. Getting to Nick Martinez yesterday, four innings, no runs, two hits, only walked one, struck out four. He has a one two nine ERA this spring. And so right now, if he continues on this trend, he will have proved me wrong and fans wrong, at least for the first year of this four-year deal in terms of him being an overpay. Because I didn't think any other team was willing to give him $25.5 million or anywhere near that, uh, especially when the pre- Lockout agreement, according to reports, was $20 million, and the Padres you know, give him $5.5 million more than that. Um, so I thought it was an overpay, and it might still be. You know, This is spring training. But right now, you, gotta, you really got to like what you see out of Nick Martinez. Not giving up a run. Four innings. I get it wasn't the A Brewers lineup, but he did face the A Dodgers lineup in his first start and he only gave up one run and it was to arguably the best opposite field hitter in baseball in Freddie Freeman. So he's looked really good this spring and he, for me is the fifth starter. He's earned it. And I think he was going to get it. I think because it would not have been a good look to have Chris Paddock as the five starter ahead of Nick Martinez when you just gave Nick Martinez $25.5 million to theoretically, essentially, go be the five starter. So I think that definitely would not have been a good look uh, if you're A.J. Proyer, if you're Bob Melvin, and, you know, making that decision. Um, so that was Nick Martinez. Robert Suarez did go as one scoreless inning yesterday, didn't give up a hit, struck out all three. Uh the lineup was the closest to its, a real lineup, an opening day lineup that I've seen this spring with Grisham in center, batting leadoff, Machado at third, Jake at second, Voigt DHing, Hosmer at first, Myers in right, Nola catching, Beatty in left, could be pro far there, and then Kim batting ninth at short. And so Bob Elman's going with left, right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right in terms of Wednesday's lineup. And now Alfaro, if you put Alfaro in there, he's still a right-handed hitter. Uh, but let's say, well, no, Profar is a switch hitter as well. So if Profar's where Beatty is, he can pinch hit there. 
or he can, uh, excuse me, he can hit left-handed there and balance out the lineup still. Um, but in terms of the lineup yesterday, I liked it. Grisham went three for four in RBI. Manny hit a home run. Uh, but the lineup, look, it seems first half top heavy because then you have after Voigt, you have Hosmer, Myers, Nola, Beatty and Profar aren't even really like, it doesn't really seem like they're, uh, you know, starting caliber, like real starting caliber, power threat, outfield, left field bats. Then you obviously have Kim, who's a backup shortstop, backup infielder. So the top, it's top half heavy, if you will. But in terms of what they got, I like that lineup. I, I would go with that lineup. I think if Alfaro is catching over Nola, I'd probably put Alfaro in front of Myers. But other than that, I, I like it. Maybe I'd have if Profar is playing left field over Beatty, maybe I'd have Profar batting ninth, even if you do have that back-to-back lefties if a righty's pitching. Um, but again, Beatty's usually would probably play if a righty's pitching. So you don't really have that problem because Beatty doesn't hit lefties well. It's righties that he play that he uh, hits well off of. So I like that lineup. Give me your ideal lineup in the comments. I'm curious to know what would be your ideal Padres lineup. Is it that? Because that I, th- I I like that lineup. I pretty much I like all of that lineup. Um, so Padres won four to two yesterday again. Manny hit a home run. He's going to need a big you know MVP. Uh, he's going to need a big MVP start. Go to El de San Diego here. What's up? Uh, Hogwatch wants us to trade Camposano and Cronenworth for Brian Reynolds. Okay, well, go tell him. Go tell him that Ben with Talking Friars is live right now, and he'd like to have a discussion with him because I think that is not a good trade. I'm fine with giving up Camposano, but, again, he does, he's not a fit for the Pirates. And giving up Cronenworth, how much better are the Padres getting if they give up, if they give up an all-star and they're just getting an all-star back, how much better offensively are they getting? You can mention the C.J. Abrams situation, where you put C.J. Abrams at second base, right? And so it would be fine like that. But the Padres eventually, if Tatis comes back, they're eventually going to be a better team. If you have Jake at second, Tatis at third, or at at, at a shortstop, excuse me, Manny at third. Abrams in center, Hassel in left, Grisham in right, you know, as early as next year. I think that's the best team. How much better, that's my question, is how much better are the Padres getting if they trade away an all-star just to get back another all-star? How much better are they getting? When Cronenworth, especially Cronenworth's more versatile as well than Brian Reynolds is. You know, so I would say no to that. I, I would say no to that. I think the Pirates would definitely think about that. But, again, they have Henry Davis, who they just drafted for a catcher. So, Camposano, I don't know if Camposano does much for them. So, that, that's my thoughts on that. Now, getting back to C.J. Abrams, um, his chances of making the big league roster improved yesterday. The Padres optioned infielder Eggy Rosario to the minor leagues. 
And so I'm not even talking about his chances of making the opening day roster just because Melvin said he would get some time as a backup center fielder. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Aggie Rosario demotion to the minors and being optioned in the minor leagues because Aggie Rosario, I was, I thought if the Padres wanted to use the service time and manipulate that service time thing, and they wanted that, they wanted to do that. They could still have Eggy Rosario as a backup infielder on that roster. And a Manny at third, Kim at short, Jake at second, Haas at first. You have Voigt, you have and Beatty who can play first, Profar can play first. But as a backup infielder, in terms of someone who could play third, maybe a little short, sure he could play second. You could put Eggy Rosario on the roster. If you wanted CJ Abrams to go to the minors, so you have an extra year of service time and you take the chance that he won't win the Rookie of the Year this year, right? They could have had Eggy on the roster. That's, I think, I before that happened yesterday, I thought they were really considering that. I thought that would have been a real possibility. But now that he's not on the roster, CJ is going to make the roster. Because what other options do they have? What other options do they have in terms of backup, third, short, and second baseman? Or excuse me, we'll just let's just keep it to backup, shortstop, and second baseman. Who else do the Padres have on the bench right now, going into the season? With Eggy optioned, CJ is the only guy. Profar is the left fielder; he's not an option. Manny's starting; he's not an option. Kim's starting; he's not an option as a backup. Cronenworth starting. He's not an option as a backup. Voigt is not even, he wouldn't play second or short. And he's a DH. He's not even considered an infielder for me right now. They don't have any backup infielders right now. CJ is literally the only option. So, Eggy being sent down, for me, it feels like, I don't want to say it's a, uh, you know, like a Miles Bridges tomahawk dunk, slam dunk that CJ makes the roster. But I, I, I do want to say that it's it's better than a layup. I think it's a dunk that CJ makes the roster. Not a slam dunk because anything can happen. Prelo can make a move or something we're not expecting. But I think it's a dunk that CJ will make the roster. With Melvin opening up a possibility for him to back up Grisham in center, you know, for him to back up, he has to be on the roster. And then you add that Eggy Rosario, the only other option, backup infield option, middle infield option, is now in the minor leagues. CJ's making the roster. I, I, I would be very, I'd be very, very surprised if CJ wouldn't make the roster. And if CJ doesn't make the roster, to me, what that says to me is that someone else made it from outside the organization. Preller made another move. And I don't see that happening in terms of infield. Seems like he's focused on outfield after Bob Melvin, uh, you know, kind of bashed him a little bit. Not directly, but he said in the press comments, I think earlier today or yesterday, saying that, you know, with the lack of outfield depth, we're putting, we're going to try Abrams in center. We're thinking about it. He was kind of like, okay, Preller, hey, 
you don't want Preller and you don't want AJ, uh, CJ, excuse me, you don't want CJ in center. Well, we're going to think about doing this if you don't get me some outfield help here. So maybe that comes into play. Who knows? Zach says, I let, I still like Grisham leading off, but CJ would be intriguing at that spot with the speed. Leading off playing shortstop, if that's what Zach's saying, I'd be open to that. Yeah. And then having Grisham like be the nine hitter or something like that, I'd be open to that. Because you're not gonna have him, you're not gonna have Grisham hit second or something, definitely not third or fourth. And then that, that's a good question. Dues Dues uh six one nine. If Abrams isn't starting, does it make sense to have him getting at bats every so often? You're right about that. But I'll go back to my point that I just made. What other options do they have? They just sent Eggy Rosario down. What other options do they have other than to have CJ on the roster as a backup outfielder, maybe, or at least as like a platoon option? You know, what other option do they have? They, they don't. So I, I get what you're saying. If he's not going to start, he'd be better served to get at bats in the minor leagues. But at the same time, they don't have other options. It's like he has to be on the roster. So I think what I would do is I would kind of find the middle ground. I wouldn't start him every day, but I'd platoon him against right-handed hitters, right-handed pitchers. I'd have him hit since he's a lefty and then have Kim play and start at short when Kim is, uh, when there's a left-handed pitcher on the mound. That's how I would do it. And if that means you're putting Abrams at the, you know, at the back of the lineup, something like that, same with Kim. Okay. If that's how you want to ease them in. Okay. All right. You know, but um, I, to answer that question, they just don't have any other options. They just don't. Erie Fan Geeks are saying, is, is saying, Coach John Cotero was saying, unless CJ Abrams has an opening day starter role, then keep him in the minors. You don't want to mess with his development. Well, I think he'll, he can still develop. Like, if he doesn't play before games, he can still face, you know, those high velocity machines, right? He can still platoon with Kim, like I was saying. So there's still opportunities for him to develop. Um, but I, what I would say to Coach John Cantera there is they don't have any other options. Please let me know who the backup shortstop second baseman is right now that is not starting. Who is that? It's CJ. And Erie, yeah, you, you can't develop off the bench. I, I understand that. But he's the only option. I would platoon him at shortstop with Kim. If one of them gets hot, maybe you ride it that way. But I think I disagree with the whole thing that he can't develop on the bench. He can still face pitching during batting practice against pitching machines. I know it's not the same. But he can still do that. I'm sure there are going to be some guys that aren't on the roster, aren't in the minors, that are with the club just throwing and stuff. And maybe he can stand in the batter's box during their bullpen sessions 
and just watch pitches to get more familiar that way. So there's ways I think that you can work around him developing, even if he's on the bench a little bit and he's look, if he's on the roster, we've seen it during spring training. He's not going to sit on the roster every game. Excuse me, sit on the bench every game. That's not going to happen. You know, Bob Mullen's already, he's already said a lot about, a lot of encouraging things about CJ, saying that, you know, he's really performed. He's, Pat, he's you know, Preller said earlier this spring on the radio saying that he's passed pretty much every test we put in front of him. So they're impressed with him. So it's not like they're saying, oh, crap, we have to put this guy on the roster. We'll just, he's just a bench warmer. No, they'll play him. It's just, a, it's just a question of how much will they play him. And I understand those questions about him, and it'll be better if he develops in the minor leagues and all that, but they just don't have any other options with Eggy Rosario being sent down. They could bring him up, but in terms of the start of the season, CJ's the only backup middle infield option right now that's not starting. And facts are facts. That's the facts. All right, so Eggy Rosario, option in the minor leagues, just covered that. Profar is the left fielder, voids the DH, Alfaro, Nola are catchers, so they're not infield options either, middle infield options. So CJ is the only option. Um, let's move now to potentially one of CJ's teammates if CJ makes the roster on opening day, and that is you, Darvish. You is starting opening day. On April 7th against the Diamondbacks in Arizona, he had a 4.22 ERA last year, 1.3 war, 30 game starts, 30 games started, almost 200 strikeouts in 166 and a third innings, I believe, in 2021. Dealt with some back hip issues, you know, right before the All-Star break, and then it kind of just kept bleeding into the second half, and that's why he wasn't as good. Uh, but... This was expected. I think this is the right move. He's the best starting pitcher in the rotation, I believe. Um, and the question was, obviously, it was either Darvish or Musgrove. Who is going to be the opening day starter? And if you're following, reading the tea leaves and all that, it was going to be Darvish. Musgrove wants to start that home opener in San Diego at Petco Park in front of that sold-out crowd against the reigning defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. He wants that. And him being, I don't think he cares if he's the three starter in Arizona. You know? Being the three starter in Arizona, by the way, isn't bad. You're going to be pitching on the weekend on Saturday. You know? It's not even like it's even on Sunday where you have the Masters there, you know, going on. The Masters Sunday. Masters will be going on on Saturday, but like the full attention. Padre fans, you know, people won't be working on Saturday. You'll still get him. You'll still have Musgrove there on that Saturday game. I don't think he cares about pitching in Arizona like that and pitching, um, you know, opening day. That's I, I don't think that's in his mind. I think he cares about pitching in the home opener. And if he pitches the home opener and that home opener – Obviously, he's at Petco in front of his family and all that. Him pitching that home opener, not only would that be good for him and good for his family and all that, 
but it would also be good for the Padres pitching staff because we can go through this rotation. You don't want Darvish and Musgrove uh, pitching, you know, Darvish going game one and then Musgrove going game two. And then you have to go Snell Clevenger games three and four and, you know, games three and four, maybe Snell and Clevenger, they, they, you know, go one inning or something. They have these type of spring training performances. And then you, you know, your bullpen is just absolutely taxed. You know, you don't want that to happen. You really don't want that to happen. So having staggered guys built up Darvish game one, Musgrove game three, Martinez game five, you have those three guys staggered that are fully, seems like going to be fully ramped up. They're going to be ready. That should allow the bullpen to go all out in those in games two and games four. So this, this Darvish named opening day starter news, I don't think is a surprise. I don't think it should be a surprise. If you were surprised, you probably weren't really paying too much attention to uh, what the full rotation and what the Potters were really saying. Uh, so that would be what I would say about the whole you Darvish thing. Sorry, my, I'm in my uh, campus dorm lounge and the lights turned off on me. Uh, but give me your thoughts on Darvish starting on opening day. Do you like it? Let's see what we got here. I would do dark. Quan says I would do Darvish, Snell, Paddock combo, Musgrove, Clevenger, Weathers combo, and Martinez. Yeah. I'm pretty much on that. Yeah. I'm pretty much on that same path. I think, to be honest, I think Clevenger would be the one that would start game two, maybe have the Clevenger weather situation. Uh, but I'm with you in terms of having starters, having, having that one, three, five type thing where those three guys are the ones that are built up. Right. And so you can have those bullpen days, the second and fourth, uh, second and fourth games of the season, second and fourth pitchers in that rotation. And so I'd probably, you know, with that Darvish, Darvish, then Snell Paddock combo, then Musgrove, Clevenger Weathers combo, Martinez, I would probably, yeah, I'd probably go Clevenger game two, that combo, just because of the timing, right? Just because of the timing, it seems like Clevenger's a little more built up than Snell. I don't know if that'll matter in their decision-making because if they're just going to piggyback, but we'll see. Eldest San Diego, I'm as big a talking Friar fan as any. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Tell your friends, again, anyone watching, subscribe to the YouTube channel here. Trying to get me up to those 1,000 uh, subscribers, so those people that want the Super Chats can definitely do that. Um, 
Again, if you're listening on podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I appreciate it as well. If you're watching on replay, obviously, I appreciate it as well. And I just love, you know, giving this content out to you guys. JD's third says, no one taking the San Diego rotation seriously because of last year's collapse. Questions around you, Darvish, Blake Snell, and Clevenger their health and their production. Those are the questions around them. I'm not so much, well, use production. There's no, I don't think there's a question about use production. I don't think there's a question about Snell's. uh, I guess there's a question about Snell's health and production. I was going to say there wasn't really a question about Snell's health because last year was the groin injury. Like it, it didn't have anything to do with like his arm or anything, but I guess you could say that. Then Clevenger, I guess, with his last spring training start, and then, yeah, his health, I guess health and production is. But I think they should still take their rotation seriously. Like, if you go around the rotations around the league, like the Dodgers, for example, they're taking their rotation seriously. I'm sorry, the last time I checked, they had a lot of questions. Dustin May's coming off Tommy John surgery. Andrew Heaney sucked for the Yankees last year in terms of production, right? What will Tyler Anderson do now that he's on a contender? Clayton Kershaw, he's getting older. There's there's no questions there. What happens if Walker Buehler gets hurt? What happens? He's one of the best starters in the league, but then what happens there? With the Astros, Justin Verlander is coming off that big injury. And what, then what do they have after him? The Yankees. They have Garrett Cole, who's come up small in the postseason. So there's production questions. Yankees fans, my goodness. They have a lot of questions with Garrett Cole in terms of big games. They have Severino already dealing with injuries. There's a lot of, there's a lot of teams that have these, injuries question, these injury question marks. It's not just the Padres. But MLB.com and other people are taking their rotation seriously. So I don't know. I... I think they should. I think people need to still take the Padres rotation seriously, and then if injuries happen or if production doesn't happen during the season, okay, then maybe you can not take it as seriously. Omar says uh, Darvish, Musgrove, Clevenger, Snell, Martinez slash Gore, Lamet closer. I think Lamet could be the closer at some point. I think. You, I don't, I don't agree with you having you Darvish and then Joe Musgrove one, two. I think it should be Musgrove three, because I think if you're going to think from the Padre perspective, they want Musgrove starting the home opener and they don't want to have that situation having Clevenger and Snell pitching back to back days when they're both not built up. They're both not ramped up. And then Gore, I don't think Gore is going to make the roster. I'm, I'm more confident in Abrams making the roster over Gore to be quite honest. Because there's just more options. There's there's literally no backup middle infield options right now. Abrams is the option. Where with Gore, there are options. There are. There's more options. They have Weathers. They have Paddock. They have Martinez for that fifth spot, right? Stammen can still – Stammen, Chris Matt, Pierce Johnson started, I think, a game last year. So they still have last resort. They still have, you know – first resort after Martinez. They still have those type of options. Um, 
where with Abrams in the infield, that's not the case. All right. One quick note here, Jake Peven and Cameron Maben are analysts for MLB Network now. Uh, Maben, former Padre, Peven, former Padre, obviously won the Cy Young pitching triple crown in 2007. It was absolutely phenomenal. So it seems like they're going to be analysts for MLB Network now, just on the desk, kind of like Dan Pieslack and those guys. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is because maybe you guys might think there's something funny here, but there is a funny story that I was listening to the radio here, Ben and Woods, 97.3 The Fan earlier this morning. And they were talking about how, uh, you know, when Jake Peavy was pitching during his career, there's, you know, these, these, these players, they have, you know, these pregame rituals, right? Whether it's, you know, putting on, I've heard some players putting on like socks a certain way or putting on uh, one sock before the other, just their superstition. They're just, they have superstitions, but with Jake Peavy, it was a little, I think it was a little different. Like it, it, extended beyond just being a little superstitious. It kind of went into, I think, the area of uh, maybe this is a little much, maybe a little much, Jake. On Ben and Woods this morning, Woodsy was talking about how at fantasy camp, I think Trevor Hoffman was telling him a story about how Jake Peavy prior to games would put Icy Hot on his nuts. And that would be there like for 14, 15 hours. And so he'd be pissed off when the ice, cause he'd be feeling it his whole start and before a start. And so he, all those mad and you know cussing and just pissed off. It seemed like when he was pitching that, it seems like maybe that was part of the reason why it wasn't just him. And that's his attitude. He was just, maybe that was why he had icy hot on his balls. Like <laughs> maybe that's why. So that made me crack up as I was, I was walking, I was walking around this morning and it was like, really? Wow. Like that makes me think like, does mad bum, does, does mad bum have icy hot on his nuts? Does, uh, you know, how about Max Scherzer, right? He seems pissed off all the time. Does, does he have icy hot on his nuts? You know, who are the other pitchers that seem like, does Clevenger, you know, with his windup, he seems like he's moving all the time and big windups. So that's a, uh, yeah, that's, it was a funny story. Omar here says, LOL, no wonder uh, he was pitching heaters. No wonder Jake Peaver was pitching heaters. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I think he was just pissed off. Like maybe sometimes he wasn't pitching as well as he wanted to, but other times, I mean, his balls were burning is what it seems like. This is, an unre this is unrelated to that, but Elda San Diego says we should make Kim a catcher. What are you talking about, dude? Really? Kim a catcher? We have four catchers, dude. Who's going to play shortstop if Kim's – you're going to put Abrams there and then you don't have any more backups? You – what do you – why would you – yeah, okay, that's a little off the wall there. That, that yeah, no thanks. Let's move on from that. There, there's no point in even discussing that. Um, let's see here. Let's move to Thursday's game here. 
which wasn't great for Blake Snell, was not great for the Padres as a whole. Their defense was trash. Uh, Padres lost by six runs to the Diamondbacks, 8-2. to two. Aaron Northcraft got hurt after, after he relieved Snell. And Snell's first inning, Snell only went an inning and a third. Gave up two run, earned runs, three runs in total, two hits. He walked four guys and didn't strike out any. So no swing and miss stuff. Uh, first inning, he issued three walks in the first inning. Great start, great start. Two lineouts, caught stealing, which saved him by Alfaro. Threw him out, threw the runner out. Took him 26 pitches to get through the first inning. Walked three guys. And then, let's see here. He pulled. He was pulled one out into the third inning. Uh, walked four guys through the first time, his first time through the batting order. He threw 45 pitches in total. 25 of them were balls. So 55% of his pitches were balls. That's not good. Not good at all. One single, one double, you also allowed. And before we get into what this means and comparing kind of this start to Clevenger and how they both struggled their first time out, for the YouTube audience, here is this breakdown, visual breakdown. In the podcast audience, I encourage you to go look at this on my Twitter account, at Talking Friars. At Talking Friars on Instagram, at Talking Friars on TikTok, and then Talking Friars YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. Um, here's the visual breakdown. The four walks of Blake Snell. So as you can see for the YouTube audience here, the top of the picture is where Jorge Alfaro wanted the pitch. The bottom is where it ended up, where Blake ended up throwing it. And it wasn't great. Dalton Varsho, leadoff batter of the game. Once at middle, it ends up down and away in the dirt. Here's the second walk, the Christian Walker. Once at pretty much middle of the plate, ends up down and in into the dirt. Here's the third batter, Matt Davidson. Wanted it down the middle, essentially, and down and in to Matt Davidson into the dirt. First three walks were down and in in the dirt when they were supposed to be over the plate. Fourth walk, Alfaro again. Pretty much over the plate where he wants it, over the middle of the plate. And Snell this time ends up missing arm side way up and out. So first three walks were down and in into the dirt, and then the fourth walk was way up and out. So he was just wild, period. And it seemed like at the you know his first that definitely definitely the first inning he was really yanking stuff and just missing down. Diamondbacks hitter, just no swing and miss stuff today. Didn't strike out anyone. And he was supposed to go like three innings, I think, today. And he ends up going an inning and a third. So this obviously is not what you want if you're Blake Snell here. And this is not a good look for him at all. It would be one thing if he was built up and this was his second start of spring or something, and he had a clunker, you know, okay, whatever. You know, Musgrove's had to grind through some spring training starts this year, but no one's worried about that. It's totally different with Snell. It's totally different. It's not even close. Snell is different from Clevenger too. 
Snell's not even built up. He's admitted it. It doesn't even seem like he's worried about it. And I've had the, I've tried to go with the optimistic viewpoint that just say, you know what? He knows what he's doing. This could be a positive, right? You could give Paddock and Weathers some piggyback opportunities, keep guy, keep Snell more healthy. You know, he can have the innings later in the year, that sort of thing. But that's my viewpoint. If Snell's pitching good, if he's doing this sort of stuff, where he's walking four guys in an inning and a third and not striking out anyone, that's a problem. Now, all of a sudden, I can't have a, a positive optimis- optimistic viewpoint about it. I can't. Because Blake Snell is supposed to be the second best starter in this rotation. I know Musgrove is right now, but you know, essentially, that's what you want. That's why you traded for him. Before last year, he was lined up as the second starter. But Musgrove is the third. And you know, comparing his situation to the Clevenger situation, Clevenger, I'm, I can't overreact to him. It's one spring training start. It's been forever since he's pitched against big league competition in an actual game. It's been forever. Okay, I'm not gonna. And eight runs is a lot. I know, but he knows what he was doing wrong. He knows, you know, that he was just late. His mechanics weren't there. Whatever. Okay, let's hope that he doesn't do that again the next start. But with Snell, here Clevenger, here back to Clevenger. Clevenger's been working his butt off. He was throwing all offseason, posting on social media, throwing with Musgrove, you know, and Poway and stuff. He was posting it. He was he was throwing. Snell took a break. And I, I don't want to blame him for taking a break because we didn't know when the lockout was going to end. But it seems like he didn't just take a week or two of a break. It seems like he took more than that. And to my knowledge, he hasn't you know, been specific with how much time he's taken off. But at the same time, this is not a good look. When you give up four walks in an inning and a third, and you already know that you're going to be behind, and you're not, you don't sound worried about it at all. You're saying, just trust me. It's hard to trust you. It it really is hard to trust you when the look that Padre fans are getting, that the baseball world is getting, is that you were not ready for spring training and you think that you didn't have to work hard like Clevenger did and Musgrove and Darvish this offseason and throwing consistently, and you thought you were just going to be ready. And right now, it doesn't look like you're ready. And that's a bad look on him. That's a bad look. I can overreact more to this Snell start than the Clevenger. Both were the first starts of spring. So you people can say, hey, Ben, don't overreact to it. It's the first start of spring for both guys. You know, one start in spring training. They're working on things. Well, I'm sorry. If you're working on things, you can still make an adjustment, right, in the first inning instead of walking three guys in the first inning and continuing to miss down and in, can't you make an adjustment? And it's fine if you're working on things, but it's not a good look when, let's say you're working on things, when there's only a week to go left before you know the regular season starts. And then on top of it, you took time off and you're not ramped up. You're not on the same level as all the other starters in the rotation are. 
So it's just a bad look all around. Bad performance, and then it doesn't look like he prepared right in the offseason. And then it doesn't look like he adjusted in that first inning when he wasn't throwing strikes. So this was a bad day for Snell. Can he bounce back? Sure. I don't want to overreact too much, but I'm going to overreact more to his start and his bad first start than to Clevenger. I know Clevenger gave up eight runs, but he at least prepared in the offseason to the length that he should have. You know, at least he was look he was working his butt off. You know, it doesn't seem like he took as much of a break as Snell did. And he knows what he was doing wrong. His velocity was still there. I, I, know, I know Snell's was, but Clevenger's velocity was still there. He knows what he was doing wrong. It was just mechanical. It was it's the first time in a long time that he's pitched. Where Snell, it just doesn't seem like he wanted it and wanted to be ready and had the desire and the goal of I'm going to be ready to pitch on April 8th or whenever as much as Clevenger did. So I'm going to get on Snell more than Clevenger. But again, they're both just one start. So hopefully both of them turn it around. Obviously, this is a Padre podcast YouTube show. I'm a dire Padre fan. Family has season tickets. I've been through it a million times. I want everyone on this team to do well. I want Eric Hosmer to do well. I want Will Myers to do well. He's one of my favorite players. I want to win a World Series this year with Myers in a Padre uniform. I want everyone to do well. I want to be wrong about Snell not looking ready. I want to be wrong about Hosmer not going to be able to contribute a lot to this team. Right? I want to be wrong about saying that Nick Martinez was an overpay. I want to be wrong about Haas, saying Hassan Kim seems like an overpay and that the jerks and profile contract was a dumb overpay. You know, I want to be wrong about that because that means that the Padres were winning, are winning, and that these players are really helping them win. But it, it just was not a good start for Snell today. And let's see if any of you have your thoughts here in the comments about Snell. Let's see. Zach says, some issues for Snell, breaking ball not working, fastball looked okay, can't find the strike zone, walking guys, wild pitches, just doesn't give you the confidence, doesn't give you confidence in this guy. Yeah, and that's what I kind of said, yeah. It's just, I broke down, like if hopefully you saw, just where the pitches were, the location, just didn't adjust in that first inning, and so yeah, it's it's hard. It's a, It's not a good look for him, not a good look. Will Myers struck out three times, or excuse me, Will Myers struck out on three straight fastballs down the middle in a 3-0 count. Yeah, I saw that. They weren't down the middle. They were up in the zone, I think, a couple of those. But, yeah, not a good look. But doesn't want to be an SD? Come on. You're just the ultimate Will Myers hater. A few weeks ago, you know, that Nelson Cruz episode, you were talking about how – uh, you, you were like hating on Will Myers for no reason and saying that you could hit big league pitching better than Myers and stuff like that. Come on, dude. You're just being a hater. It's spring training. Would he swing at th- a 3-0 pitch like that during the season? No, I don't think he would. But it's spring training. You don't, you don't, go, you don't travel to Arizona in spring training. You don't travel to other ballparks, visiting Arizona ballparks in spring training to watch four balls go and go jog to first. You're trying to face pitching and get swings in and get timing down. So the results of him doing that 
That doesn't say that he doesn't want to be in San Diego. What are you talking about? You know, he's he's never demanded a trade. It's not like it's not like it's been the NBA where you're saying I want out. No, he's actually been more professional than Eric Hosmer, and saying you know trades are going to happen. I'm just going to go play. You know, I want to stay here. I've been in trade rumors all the time. Whatever, it's a part of the game. He's handling it better. He wants to be here. I I don't get where you're getting that. Let's see here. Uh, let's see. El de San Diego back coming here. Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin. You love Will Myers, the punch-out king, but you hate Tatis and Profar Jackson? Profar Jackson, what? I like Will Myers because I'm an actual diehard Padres fan. I've He's been here for all the years that I've been, and all these diehard Padre fans have been. I've been to so many. I can't tell you how many Sunday games I've been there with my mom sitting there in the stands in the upper deck during the Sunday games watching Will Myers in 2017 and 2018 strike out three, four times a game and just go walking right back to the dugout. You know, he's been some through some rough times. We've been through a lot of losing seasons and rough times. And so I like Will. I think he can help the team this year. And it's almost like we don't have any other option because our outfield depth is like nothing. He is the right fielder. He's going to play. We need him to play. And so, and then getting back to that, I don't think it's as much as me like loving Will Myers, the player. I think it's more of me wanting to see the team win with him in this last year. That I think that's more of where I'm coming from with that. Um, Let's see, moving to the next comment here. Snell will be an all-star. If he does, can we see a Snell poster in the background? Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I think Snell can be, but I think it will hurt him that he's not going to be a starter at the beginning of the season. Like, he might start games, but he's not going to start the amount of innings as, like, Darvish or Musgrove or Scherzer, or DeGrom, or Wheeler, or Nola, or Bueller, guys like that. So that will lead him to a disadvantage. So if I were to predict right now, I wouldn't say that he's an all-star. I definitely wouldn't say that. All right, let's move to the rest of this game here. Uh, first, first, first off here. Back to some people overreacting, right? The overreaction kings on Twitter that have these weird usernames and they don't want to identify themselves and they don't want to hold themselves accountable. They just want to reply to people that actually have like legitimate, do their research and do good opinions and do actual visual breakdowns like I do. They just want to, you know, spout their opinion when they really don't know what they're talking about. And this is one of them. At Ron in 2421, R-O-N at R-O-N-I-N-2421. He replied to me on Twitter saying today that the Padres should include Blake Snell in a Brian Reynolds deal and that Blake can still play video games in Pittsburgh. 
The only thing that he got right in that is that he can still play video games in Pittsburgh. Okay, yeah, he can. But guess what? Really? You're going to include Snell in a Brian Reynolds deal just because he sucked in the first game of spring training? Look, I'm not happy with Snow right now. I, I'm not, I don't really like that he's not fully ramped up and ready for the season, you know, at the season, the start of the season, like Darvish and like Musgrove are. But at the same time, I still saw how he pitched in August and into September last year before the injury at Dodger Stadium. If we can get that guy, you're telling me you don't want him on your team? You have to be joking. I get recency bias. We're all victims of it to some degree, you know, saying, oh, you know, he sucked today. Okay, trade him. Really? Really? Think about it. Think about what you're saying. Think about it. Okay, you, you want to bring Brian Reynolds. Okay. Blake Snell is under control for this year and next year. The prime window of contention for the Padres. And by the way, you got to look at from the other side of, of things too. It's not just a one-way street here. You got to, it's two sides to tango. The Pirates aren't going to want Snell because they're not going to contend this year or next year. They're not in it for this year or next year. They're one of those rebuilding teams. They want a prospect that's going to help them in the future and be there when they're going to try to win. Snell wouldn't be there when they're going to try to win because he, he would leave after next year. So that, I don't, I don't, I'm not so sure that they would do that unless they were just flipping. But I, don't, I wouldn't think that the Pirates would do that. So, yeah, at Ron in two four two one, how about you think about the situation before you just overreact and be reactionary to a spring training start, one bad spring training start, to a guy who's supposed – if the Potters are going to go anywhere, Blake Snell is going to pitch well. I think he has to. Zach says – I like Nabil Chrismat. He will be valuable again if we have injuries to starters. And I, I agree with that, Zach. Yeah. I think that Nabil was one of the MVPs of last season, one of like the unsung MVPs of last season. And no one really, it didn't feel like he was acknowledged enough for that because of the collapse, right? Everyone was covering the collapse, not so much Chris Matt and, Stammen, right? Guys like that who are really helping them in this rotation, or not the rotation, but just the roster overall and keeping the bullpen kind of afloat, keeping the rotation kind of afloat, right? Taking the bullet for the, the bullpen, stuff like that. So, yeah, he was very valuable, and I think he will be again if they have injuries. Obviously, you hope he isn't as valuable this year because that means that injuries don't happen as much. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely get your point. Zach also says, I'm going to be an optimist and suggest Will and Hoswell bounce back years. I mean, that's what you would hope. That's what I would hope. But I think Will probably, he might have a little bit better year, might get on base a little more. But in terms of Hosmer, like it just feels like this is who he is. It doesn't feel like he's willing to change. Where Myers, I think he could be more willing to change if if Michael Berdara is suggesting something, you know? And I think Hosmer might be willing to change to some degree, but, like, at the end of the day, it's hard to break a habit, and his habits are hitting grounders to second base. 
his habits are striking out a lot. And just his habits are not being great defensively at first base ever since he's been a Padre. From the time his first year here when they were still in blue uniforms at Houston and Bregman hit a mile-high pop-up to first base, the game was supposed to be over, and Hosmer just dropped it. it. He didn't even drop it. The ball didn't even touch his dang glove. It went right behind him. So he's just been a disappointment, and I, I just don't – I'd be more in on Will having the bounce-back year than Hosmer, to be honest. But, yeah, I like you having that optimistic viewpoint. But, yeah, as for the rest of Thursday's game, again, they lost by six. Abrams had a throwing error, and, you know, Melvin was seen, like, almost pulling his hair out, like, just because of Snell not pitching well. And then Abel's making errors. It just was a long game, I think, for them. And But I did want to hit some positives here. Lamette went 1-2-3 on a day's rest, so that's big, right? He's going to be in the bullpen. Uh, and I think they want – I think eventually they would want Lamette to be the closer because he has that fastball and then the slider, right, the two-pitch kind of combination. And so he knows what role he's going to have and keep him healthy that way. But I think it's smart to ease him in, kind of like this, pitch him every other day, then try to pitch him back-to-back days. If that goes well, maybe go back-to-back-to-back days, and that third day in a row is like to one or two batters instead of three, four, five batters, something like that. Uh, But having a one, two, three inning today on only one day's rest is big. I think that's really good for him because that means that he's showing that he's healthy. And this is what most relievers are going to have to do during the season is they're going to have to, you know, pitch. They're going to have to pitch back-to-back days, quite frankly, but they're going to have to pitch every other day most of the time, right? So uh, Lamette, that was good there. Paddock today after Lamette, I believe, Three innings. I like what I saw out of him. Gave him one earned run, four hits, struck out four, only walked one, 63 pitches. So, again, he's more built up than Snow is. And Paddock's not even going to be a real starter in this rotation, it would seem like. It seems like he's going to piggyback Snow, something along those lines. So, would you kick around the situation of Paddock starting and not Snow to start the season? I don't think the Padres will, but if Paddock's more built up, I think it's a worthy question to ask. I don't think they'd do it. I think they like having that lefty to start, and then they have Paddock come in, you know, as a righty. And maybe he goes three innings, faces the lineup once, something like that. So he doesn't have to face the lineup back-to-back time or two times. So I think that's maybe an option. Um, But I think that's just interesting. Paddock's built up here, going over 60 pitches, where Snell threw only 45 today. So Paddock's ahead. It doesn't even look like he's going to be a starter in the rotation. But I liked what I saw from Paddock. Gave him one run. If he can do that, I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with what Paddock gave us today. Obviously, you'd hope no runs, but I'd be fine with what Paddock gave up. Uh, and then Emilio Pagan went one inning, didn't give up a run, one hit, 
one walk, one strikeout. So struck out one, didn't give any runs. Again, I know a lot of people were, you know, crapping on Pagan, you know, saying Pagan uh, his last time when he got shelled. Uh, but it's up and it's been up and down from this spring. I think that he's going to find himself in a prominent role, seven, eight, ninth inning type guy starts season at least. And especially with the Pomerantz injury, you never know when you're going to get him back. And the Luis Garcia injury, he's not going to be healthy to start the season. So I think he's going to have to step up and have a, a big role for the team. And it's encouraging that he didn't give up any runs. Uh, I'll get through some more comments here, uh, but I did want to see, I'm going to check Twitter real quick just to see if there's any new, any new news that's come down here. Pirates acquired infielder Josh Van Meter from the Diamondbacks for right-handed pitcher Lizther Sosa. Um, let's see. You Darvish tweeted about his opening day start said, or at least this is the Japanese translation by Google on Twitter said, we have been nominated as the opening pitcher for 2022. I would like to concentrate on throwing each person without greed, throwing to, to each person. These Japanese translations are probably spotty, but as you can see, I don't think that's how he talks. Uh, but yeah, don't see really anything else right now. We can get to more comments here before we get out of here. Been over two hours now. Hope you guys are enjoying this. Again, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, the like button. I really appreciate it. Recommend this channel, the friends uh, I'll be talking about leading up to the season. I'll be talking about the content, the format that I'll be doing, changing a little bit of things compared to last year. Uh, I do, by the way, I'm scheduled to have on extra 1360s, John Schaefer on the show tomorrow. So that's something to look forward to everyone listening and watching extra 1360, John and Jim. I've had him on once. Uh, and I think we'll have a great discussion, ask him a lot of questions, do a little preview of the season, something like that, um, about the Padres. So I think that'll be fun to have him on tomorrow, April 1st. But just trying to get to some more comments here. El de San Diego says, I think Myers and Hosmer are both going to have a bounce back year and lead the National League and RBIs. Maybe we give them a nickname. Maybe we call them the Bash Brothers. Okay, well, obviously, now you're, I think now you're just like effing with me because a few weeks ago, you were bashing Myers. You were bashing Myers earlier this episode. You know that Hosmer's not a great player anymore. So what, what in the world makes you think that this is going to happen? What in the world makes you think that they're going to lead the National League in RBIs? And you say, maybe we can give them a nickname, the Bash Brothers? I mean, I think if Padre fans had it, you know, ideal for them and they had better players, uh, I think they'd call themselves the Bench Brothers. They'd want to call those two the Bench Brothers. Maybe not so much Myers, but Hosmer, definitely. 
not the Bash Brothers. Sorry, I don't know where the heck you're getting that. So, yeah, nice, nice, uh, nice try. You have interesting comments. I'll give you that, El de San Diego. Uh, interesting comments, but yeah, you you don't really make sense sometimes. <laughs> some of these comments, man. I, some of these comments. And then Daniel says, I swore Paddock is unlucky. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, the errors, yeah, but the errors happened for everyone today. I mean, they, they just didn't play clean. They did not play a clean game. And then and then Paddock, I, I don't really look at the, the errors, obviously. I don't look at the errors. I look at his performance. I think he was hitting most of his spots pretty well. Again, gave up one earned run, and I'll take that every time out from Paddock. I'll take that every time out. All right, before we get out of here in this episode, episode 139, Talking Fires Podcast YouTube show, sponsored by Gaglion Bros. Gaglionbros.com to view their entire menu, uh, located Point Loma Sports Arena at Petco Park during the season. You can go get yourself great cheesesteak and fries there. They are the sponsor of this episode. Thank you, everyone, for watching live on YouTube, watching on Twitter. Again, hit that subscribe button. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're getting that. Uh, Gil says, looking forward to Ben and John. Yeah, it'll be fun tomorrow. All right, have a good night, everyone. Stay safe. Until next time, let's go Padres.